0: So you said the group's been around since uh, 2008, uh, Mm -hmm. right? And I, I, but you're up to 1.5 billion in holdings. Is that correct? That's right. That's a pretty large amount for 12 years in real estate. Isn't really that long. You know, it's actually, you know, a lot of companies that size have been around 30 or 40 years, you know? Um, So that's a pretty impressive growth amount. How were was the group able to achieve such a large amount of holdings in just twelve years All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. I'm your host Aaron Fragnito, and we are here today with Kent Ritter from Burge and Held Asset Management. Is that the right pronunciation, Kent? <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> great, great. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Um, so, give us a little introduction about yourself and uh, what you do.
1: Sure. So. You know, as you said, Aaron. My name is Kent Ritter, um, and I'm a partner with Burge and Held. We are a multifamily syndicator located in Indianapolis, Indiana. We've got properties um, in ten states, about 15,000 units in total, and have been uh, been operating uh, you know, in this model since about 2008. So about 12-year track record. And um, yeah, I. Uh, You know, I started my career as a management consultant and then really fell in love with real estate upon selling a a business, a boutique consulting firm at the end of 2015, you know, and then looking out and saying, you know, where do I want to deploy my capital? You know, where's, what's going to be the the safest, but also give me a a solid return and what's going to allow me to, to diversify. And real estate just uh, seemed like the best option as I started to educate myself and learn more about it. Um, Fell in love with multifamily in particular just because a lot of the positives of the asset class and and started out as a passive investor, investing with other syndicators um, and invested in about 10 deals in 2016. And that really set me off on the journey and then continued to to educate myself, continued to to network and and find mentors in the space. And that led to uh, doing my first syndication in 2019 and then joining up with Burgeon Held, who was uh, who I actually originally started passively investing with back in 2016 and developed a great relationship with them and just saw that the things that they were doing were just at a whole different level than the other operators that I was investing with. And, uh, and, you know, I was fortunate enough that they invited me to, to come on board as a partner and, and build out a line of business, uh, under their umbrella. So very excited to be in the position I'm in right now. And and we're working on closing our, our third deal. Um, my third deal with and held and, uh, brilliant third deal in about the last six months. And we're closing that here, uh, well, it's, it's going to be uh, in mid-March. And so excited to just
0: continue to keep rolling now. Great, great. So it sounds like you've really been through the whole spectrum of small syndicates, boutique shops, uh, and now you're working with a multi-billion dollar conglomerate, essentially that's buying throughout the nation, You know, probably a little more corporate, different type of feel than what you used to. So it sounds like um, some of your personal capital, was that also put into smaller syndications, as well, or more, did you focus on larger syndications yourself? Uh, You mean like the type of operator? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. uh, It it kind of ran the gamut, really. Um, You know, at, at that point in time, I didn't have a huge real estate network. So it was uh, really referrals from, from other people. And so I I invested with, yeah, you know, you know, it was about, you know, six different operators for those investments. And so it, it really ran the gamut. So, and I did that intentionally because I wanted to see, you know, I always had the intent of, of actively owning um, multifamily properties. And I just knew at that point there was a lot I didn't know and, and a lot that I didn't even know I didn't know. Yeah. So I, I used that passive, those passive investments as really a learning experience. Um, you know, asking the questions about all the whys, you know, why are you financing it this way? Why are you rehabbing it this way? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Um, You know, a lot of those syndicators probably might've thought I was a little annoying at the time, but, but I got the answers and, uh, and was able to really just learn through those experiences, but get to see different ways that people are doing things right and take the good and the bad from all those and, and come up with my own approach. So yeah, it was a mix of smaller, um, you know, some local folks uh, here in Indianapolis that kind of just just do things, you know, locally or regionally, and then groups like Virgin Held who are operating in 10 states. Right,
0: right. And what's one of the biggest differences, maybe some pros and cons of of each type of uh, syndicate because they really differ in a lot of ways. Um, but it, at the end of the day, they're trying to achieve the same goal, you know, so just what are some general pros and cons think of a big group and a small group, you know?
1: Um, yeah. You know, I, and I don't know, I think it's really more individualistic than that. Right. I think it really gets down to, to the individual operator rather than just kind of categorizing it big or small. But I think the things that really matter are, you know, communication, transparency uh well integrity right that kind of starts (laughs) starts with everything um you know those things those are the things that really matter I think when it comes down to who you're choosing as a sponsor Mm uh there were some groups that I invested with that I never heard from never had any idea what was going on with the deal there's other groups where you know we got monthly communication Mm -hmm. um and, you know, and we always I always felt in the loop and I always like that I was, you know, the, the idea you're giving money out in an illiquid investment uh, that's fairly long term. Right. Five years um, can be. And, you know, like to just have an idea that I know what's going on with my money. So I think the communication was key you know, transparency, you know, being able to look at the financials, being able to, again, understand what's going on. Some people like that and some people don't. Some people want to be passive and truly passive and they just want to hand over the reins. I wanted to be a little more involved because I wanted to really understand things for my own. So again, I could do it on my own one day. Integrity, you know, I thought was important. I think one thing that really impressed me about Virgin Held was, you know, just looking at the the size of the company. I mean, I was able to, And multiple occasions to sit down, sit down with the principals, sit down with all all of the head VPs from all the different departments, whether it's construction or property management, because all that's internal and asset management, all these different groups. I mean, they really opened the doors for me to come in, meet with people, ask the questions. And that level of access really impressed me. Now, I don't know that they would know, I don't know if they do that for everybody, but at least I was given that the the benefit of, you know, really them lifting up the curtain and let let me see behind what's going on. So that level of transparency really impressed me. And then you just get down to the more practical things of like track record, right? Track record and operating model. And Mm -hmm. that was where, you know, burgeon held really kind of just blew the doors off of everybody else. When you think about the size and scale they operate on uh, their ability to, to get, you know, last looks at deals, uh, because of their deep broker relationships, their ability to get better financing, the ability to to have that internal construction and property management that works so closely together to have a seamless uh, seamless approach to operations, um, those things I just didn't see in any other operators.
0: Right, and that's the challenge of building your business and building it bigger and bigger. You know, as a business owner myself, all those moving pieces, mm-hmm. getting those service providers in place that you can trust, finding the right employees in the right positions that you're not overpaying for, or, you know, making sure they of course show up and do their job. And, and it is, it is so hard to build out that infrastructure. You can't build it too fast or you lose uh, quality of service and you can't build it too slow, or you're not going to be able to uh, continue the, the growth at the rate you, you're looking for. And, you know, so that, and that communication is so important, right? I mean, I make a point of sending out a monthly email like clockwork to my investors, whether I have good updates or bad updates, it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. my updates are going to educate our investors. They often include uh, documents and pictures and a uh, proof of what I'm talking about or just, you know, more in-depth information and content. Sometimes I even make, a, you know, a podcast episode about, you know, some things that are going on or a uh, video or something like that. So it's all about communication, you know, and, and uh, you can have e- even projects that run into challenges along the way. And your investor group will understand as long as you're saying, hey, here's the problem we ran into, here's the solution, and here's the timeline it's going to look to fix it, and here's what, the estimated cost, you know? So mm-hmm. it's all about that, right? We're always going to run into challenges whenever you're doing development or ownership of real estate, There's, right? you know, always challenges, tenants that don't pay, or things that go over budget or challenges there. But as long as you have that consistent communication, um, people tend to understand and really appreciate that.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, I think communication, you know, is critical and that if you are, um, you know, real estate is all about solving problems, right? right. And, and I mean, that's how you make money and, and the good people, the people that are good at their job are the ones that are good at solving problems. And so problems are going to arise. And like you said, it's just, it's how, how you deal with them. And that's part of just the nature, the nature of the product and the nature of the investment, right? It, it's dealing with them and, and being transparent and, and communicating about it.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And uh, so right now, uh, your group is investing all throughout the nation. And you were saying you're focusing on Colorado. I love Colorado. I actually used to live out there as a ski instructor for six months when I graduated college. I lived in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Beautiful place. Yeah, it's
1: beautiful out there.
0: Yeah. You ever been to Steamboat Springs?
1: I have. Yeah, I've skied out there a few times. It's very nice.
0: Oh, awesome. You're a skier too. All right. (laughs) Good stuff. So um, why Colorado?
1: Oh uh, well, I mean, just kind of the the, the same things that, that attract us to any market, right? It's uh, job growth, population growth, uh, diversity of jobs. Uh, Colorado, specifically, uh, one thing that's a little bit unique about Colorado when you when you look at especially the the mountain areas is just limited supply because of a limited availability of land, right? And because of the so we focus we focus on workforce housing, largely B class workforce housing, mm-hmm. and when you when you think about workforce housing in the mountains mm-hmm. um, there's just there's just not a lot of it because right. you know it can cost three or four hundred thousand dollars a unit to build new mm-hmm. um, and if you're going to spend that to build new you're you want to maximize your rents and you're going to do that by building a nice class a right so finding unique properties in the mountains uh, where workforce housing makes sense or where we can provide affordable housing even mm-hmm. you know with with partnerships with uh, the local municipalities i mean those are those are kind of win-wins for everybody so we really like those kind of deals but yeah i mean colorado itself denver and the rest of the state is, is growing there's mm-hmm. there's jobs people want to live there i think the the remote economy right the the yeah. zoom driven economy has driven that as people move from the coasts and can live where they want um yeah. I mean, there's a huge attraction uh, to live in, you know, living in the mountains.
0: I'm seeing the same thing right now. In fact, in the last year, we've redeveloped our model with short-term rentals and went into Southern Vermont to focus on buying a Nero ski resort here and other uh, world-class ski resorts. Similar idea to Colorado, you know, beautiful blue skies, big green mountains, getting out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said something interesting. Colorado has a land shortage now. You look at a state like Colorado. You, how is there a land shortage? I guess most of that's farmlands, right? And then there's certain regulations, and uh, there's probably you know also those are generational farms. I don't know if you ever seen the show Yellowstone, right? <laughs> I have. It's a good show. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I was speaking more
1: about the the mountains. I mean, just just yeah. the the geography, like the topography of okay. just not having a lot of flat spaces where you can you can put apartments, right? I mean, we, we own a, a property in Aspen, Colorado. It's the only affordable housing in Aspen, Colorado, and, and it's on a contiguous patch of like 10 or 11 acres. And, and it's the largest, you know, kind of flat patch of land um, in Aspen is mm-hmm. there's just, there's just not a lot of places to build and, and just think about getting materials and things up there, right? It just, everything costs more. So it's just more difficult to create affordable housing, but there's definitely a need for it. I mean, all the people that are living at the or uh, working at the ski resorts, the restaurants, the bars, everything. I mean, they need a place to live. Um, and a lot of those people are commuting multiple hour commutes to be able to do that. Uh, or they're bunking up, you know, with a, a whole host of people, you know, in, in one apartment. Um, Cause if you look at the average cost of, of a house out there, it's, it's about, uh six hundred thousand dollars
0: yeah it's crazy what people pay for you know uh, skiing getting out there these these areas are very high-end areas and skiing is a pretty high-end sport too right to have the right gear costs you a thousand bucks just to get a decent set of skis and bindings and boots are another 500 so you know by the time you get on the mountain you could be dropping two thousand dollars if you want you know but lift tickets and places to stay so it's a very high-end uh, sport and also I, I it's interesting so we're kind of in the same market as far as looking at rural markets I'm running into the same problem out here finding good help to run our turnovers to run our cleaning crews to finding good contractors I'm looking at a development of a five unit property right now and I need a good contracting crew to do about a quarter million dollar renovation on it and mm-hmm. uh, man it's just it's tough to find uh, good quality uh, you know service providers in very rural, Areas, Um, you're fine. And also, I've noticed, yeah, the the housing, right? Because there's really um, a big gap. You know, if you're working on the mountain, you you might be getting fifteen dollars an hour or something, but you're living in an area that's a high tourist demand area with high housing prices, even though it might be in the middle of nowhere. You know, -hmm. Um, and uh, so it's really interesting gap. So it sounds like your company's focusing on. Um, bridging that. Is that your niche, uh, kind of affordable housing in these areas or or what else do you guys focus on?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, almost everything that we do is focused around workforce housing, you know, and, and uh, you know, whether I'd say we have several strategies related to workforce housing. So from ground up new development, Mm -hmm. to tax credit, um, truly, truly, you know, kind of capital A affordable housing that we're partnering with uh, a local municipality, you know, to to build that kind of a public, private-public partnership uh, to, you know, value-add deals of kind of large scale and small scale Mm -hmm. uh, where we're taking properties that were built in maybe the 80s, 90s, and uh are able to to renovate those, modernize them, um, add amenities, and increase the increase the cash flow and the income out of the properties. And so there's several different strategies that that exist, you know, under the umbrella. And um, you know, Colorado is just one area where we're operating. I mean, we're based in Indianapolis and and primarily operate in the Midwest uh and the southeast. And um and they're just implementing those strategies, uh, you know, throughout about ten states.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Wow, and you guys. So you said the group's been around since uh, 2008, uh, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, but you're up to 1.5 billion in holdings. Is that correct? That's right. That's a pretty large amount for 12 years in real estate. Isn't really that long, you know? It's actually you know a lot of companies that size have been around. Thirty or forty years, you know. Um, so that's a pretty impressive growth amount. How were was the group able to achieve such a large amount of holdings in just twelve years?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think just good execution. I think having the right people in the right seats, and then just just executing uh, on the plan, and you know, creating processes along the way that are repeatable that allow you to scale you know, just kind of the, the standard things that would, that allow any, any good business to grow, right. Is creating, you know, one, you have to have the right people on board. Everybody has to be aligned with the vision and, and rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And then you've got to have the, the processes in place uh, that make things repeatable so that you can execute you know, more efficiently each time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more lessons learned you're being captured and, mm-hmm. and taken to improve the next process. And, you know, you just continue to grow from there. I think we continue to make investments in things like technology. I mean, technology is a big, uh, just a big key word for us in 2021 is we're, we're implementing a lot of property tech across our entire portfolio. Um, you know, things like smart locks, um, creating self-guided tours, um, you know, things like that that allow us to to add value to the resident, but also create management efficiencies. So we're continuing to, to improve and to, and to expand. I think our scale allows us to, to do a lot of things that, that others wouldn't yeah. uh, or aren't able to. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that's really been a game changer for us is this idea of, of an eight-hour renovation where we'll, we'll come in and we'll turn a unit in, in eight hours. You know, the person will, it's occupied. So the person will leave in the morning, uh, they'll go to work, they come back to a brand new apartment. And in that in that time, we've had a whole host of people in there, you know, ripping things up and, and putting putting new cabinets, countertops, sinks, everything, appliances back in. And uh, and they come back to something that that feels brand new. And that's a lot that's been a game changer for us because a lot of the issues with renovation, especially at a large scale, come with when they span multiple months and you, you end up with, like you said, you know, finding good people well, you can have labor issues, right? You can have, if things take too long, you, you definitely have supply issues, right? Like I mean, we, we've run into issues where we need to get the same cabinet. Well, now it's three months later and that cabinets, those cabinets aren't available anymore. Right. right. So, uh, and being able to do it in this occupied way, we're able to knock out three or four units a day. Uh, we're able to turn, you know an entire property in a month or a couple months, depending on the size of the property. And it allows us to, you know, have economies of scale for supplies, it allows us to have economies of scale for labor because we're keeping the same team there the whole time, you know, and they're they're fully that they're, they're fully deployed uh, for that time period. And right. and it allows us to maintain occupancy, which is one of the toughest things when you're going through a renovation, is being able to manage occupancy. Well. We were able to, to deploy this on a 750 unit property in Indianapolis. We turned the entire property and the exteriors in 11 months. And the whole time we maintained a 94% occupancy. Wow. And I think it's also good for the residents because well, one, the residents, they get a brand new unit, right? Because we're, we're doing it while they're still in it and they get to realize the value of that new unit before their lease is actually up. Yeah. Um, but also it's, it's less disruption uh, for less time on the property, right? So if you're living there on the property, you're not dealing with construction for two years, right. you know, right. we're kind of condensing that timeframe. So that's really been a huge differentiator for us. It's, it's allowed us, I think, to um, just execute it in a way, well, like, like you said, kind of what allows you to grow that quickly. I, I think one thing is being able to renovate that quickly uh, and, and move on to the next project. And uh, we've renovated about 7,000 units in that model,
0: Right now, what happens if the you renovate the unit and you say, okay, here's your new unit, and rent's going to go up, a, you know, a fair amount, uh, and they don't agree to the rent increase and they say, thanks for the nice unit, you know, updated unit.
1: Well, you can't you can't raise their rent mid lease, right? So we, right. Right. you know, they so they get the value of the unit right. um, while they're in their lease, and the hope is that they will. You know, come to, to like that level of, of living, and and they will renew, mm-hmm. um. But but people don't, and yeah. mm-hmm. you know that's okay. We just move move somebody else in that that wants it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, I would just. It depends on the building, depends on on the demographic. But I I would I know for a few of my buildings, if we renovated the unit and while the tenant was still in there before the lease expired, and then said, okay, you know, we're gonna need this amount of rent, or uh, you know, we're not going to renew the lease. Uh, I would just have a squatter. <laughs> you know, I would just have someone living in the unit that would be like, oh, I'm not going to pay you the higher rent and I'm not going to cooperate to move out. either. So, I yeah.
1: Know. I guess, I guess that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, we, we like to operate in States that are landlord friendly and sure. that, that have reasonable, uh, eviction guidelines. Yeah, yeah. And, That's uh, other, you know, like you, you, wouldn't do that in a state like Colorado, or not excuse me, not Colorado, California, right? Uh, because you could end up in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for
0: the updated apartment. Okay. I'll see an eviction court in six months, you know. Have a good Yeah,
1: day. exactly. Okay. So okay. so yeah, I mean that that goes back to you you asked a little bit about markets. I mean, that's something that we look for uh when, when we're looking at states to invest in, or or what are the you know, the the tenant and landlord rights
0: and laws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love Colorado for that. I know Texas is good for that. Um, so that that's interesting that's one of the reasons we do short term rentals in Vermont because the landlord tenant laws are terrible they're completely mm-hmm. one sided towards the tenant I, I don't really think you can evict someone in Vermont in the winter time, which is just ridiculous. so uh, hmm. we focus on uh, short term rentals there, which of course you know less than twenty eight days don't apply to uh, landlord tenant laws so Um, anyway, that's one of the ways to work with those rules and, uh, try to continue to run a profitable business, even with those restrictions in place, but, um, awesome stuff. All right, Ken. So I really enjoyed learning about what you do and some of your experiences here and how can people learn more about you and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, there's two good ways to get in touch with me. One is at my website, KentRitter.com. Uh, you know, really set it up as a, a source for people that are interested in investing, especially those that are interested in passive investing. If you're just getting started, there's you know FAQs and terminology and different resources for you for you to check out. Um, you can also get to my podcast there or through any podcast source uh, of your choice. Podcast is Ritter on Real Estate, and uh, it's really about helping people understand the different aspects of real estate investing, uh, particularly multifamily, but we get into a few other topics too. And um, really the goal is to help people make better investing decisions because, you know, I didn't have, when I was getting started, really a go-to resource. And that's really what I've tried to develop uh, through the podcast.
0: Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, you've never uh, participated in male modeling. Is that correct? Or you used to be a model? (laughs) I
1: have have not, but, you know, I appreciate that. (laughs) Take that as a compliment. If you want to see more pictures of me, you can check out the website. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, you're not really my type, but that's all right. No. No, I'm just kidding, my friend. All right. Well, if real estate doesn't work out, maybe you could always be a, a model. Who
1: knows? <laughs> hey, man, Aaron, I appreciate that. You're pumping up my ego. I'm going to take this to the rest of
0: the day. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Ken, thanks a lot for coming on. And of course, for our listeners, my name is Aaron Fragnito, the host of the Passive Cash Flow podcast, co owner of People's Capital Group. You can check us out at peoplescapitalgroup.com. We focus on working with passive investors to buy apartment buildings and short term rentals in northern New Jersey and southern Vermont. That's people'scapitalgroup.com. Thanks for listening to the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. Enjoy your day.
1: Thanks, Aaron.